Well, I don't know what your table looked like this week um, in your house, um, but we had something that happened at our table this week. My family's really going to love me through this series, by the way, every time I come up here. But we had, had something happen this week that was, wow, we need to oil this thing. But uh, we had something happen around the table this week was, was a first, and it's amazing. It's our four-year-old is kind of introducing many firsts into our little world, and um, we're sitting at the table, and I mean, we're, we're just about done with dinner, and I just got done asking her to come back to the table. I mean, you guys know that, right? I mean, every, when they're done, they're ready to get up, and, and let's get this party started. And, but man, she, she's back at the table, and we're sitting there, and I'm like, hey, you got, you got like two more bites, two more bites until, until you can be done. And uh, all of a sudden, you, I just saw her fork, and it had food on it, and I just saw it balancing, kind of like a seesaw, just the right way, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I thought for a second, wow, surely not. Surely not. And all of a sudden, I just see my sweet Eliana <laughs> go, boom, <laughs> goes flu- food <laughs> across the room. <laughs> I was like, you know, part of, you, part of you for a second as a dad were like, wow, that was cool. But then... <laughs> That second was very short-lived, and Dad excused himself with his daughter for a moment <laughs> in the other room. But um, I don't know what your table looked like this week, but, but when, when, you th- when you think about the table, it's, it's that place we come to, that we come to eat, oh, we, we'll share a prayer together. Um, it, it's the place also, though, where sometimes when you get that phone call and you know, when that person on the other line says, hey, are you sitting down? You know, and, and why are they saying that? Because the, the news that they're about to share might cause you to tremble at your, your knees. I've had that before. I remember I was working one day, Louisville Flower Mound area, uh, just doing, preparing a sermon, and I was heading home to pick up my uh, six-year-old at the time, he needed to go to the doctor, and, um, and there was some other sickness in the family, and so I was going to swoop in, get him, take him to the doctor, and I just got in the car, and it was about eight years ago, and I, I remember getting a phone call, I saw that my mom had called, and I picked up the phone, and, and it was raining, I remember that day vividly, almost to the house, and, and she, she says, she was panicked, and she said, Jerry, she said, um, your step- stepdad has uh, stopped breathing, and um, the paramedics are here and, and working on him, and, and uh, it was one of those things where it just, you weren't prepared for it, you, you weren't ready for it, um, and, and sometimes we get those phone calls, and, and that day was a horrible day. My, my stepdad died that day, and it was horrific, horrific. It was one of those days where you weren't preparing for it, you, you weren't ready for on that day, this is going to happen. And sometimes the, the table becomes that, where you, where you get that phone call, you get that phone call, and all of a sudden this becomes a place of, of tears for us. And so the table becomes that. Sometimes it's a place of, of doing some hard things. Uh, for me, man, it's the place where I do my taxes. Man. For some of us, it's, it's the place where we pull out the checkbook and we pull out the budget, we realize, man, how am I gonna how am I gonna do it this month? How are we gonna do it? Sometimes that's that's the place of the table. 
For some of us, it's, it's the place where insight is shared. It's, it's where wisdom is shared. It's where things are learned. And I would encourage you, take time around the tables of family because there's a lot gained. There's a lot learned. And there's a lot learned about how to deal with the trials that knock you off your feet to the little things of life. When I say little things, I'll tell you another funny thing. This has just been a, a great week, by the way. Right, babe? I remember, uh, what, I don't even know what day it was. What day was it? Was it Wednesday? Thursday? You don't know what I'm about to say. <laughs> she writes my sermons and doesn't even, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a day this week. I don't even remember what day it was. I'm 40. I'm getting old, right? Uh, sorry. Sorry. Some of y'all hit hard. Some of y'all hit hard. You're like, oh, ouch. That hurt. But I remember... Um, one day this week, this is bad, I don't remember the, the exact day, but uh, I remember I was, I was meeting with a guy, and Annette calls and says, hey, listen, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I'm like, what? She says, Ellie, uh, again, our four-year-old, Ellie um, has plastic stuck in her ear. Down her ear. She stuck something down her ear. And she says, I can't get it. And so I'm like, okay, well, let, let me come home. Let me see if I can retrieve it. And I looked, and I was like, dude, no way. No, I ain't, you know, I ain't messing with that. So we, we, we took her to the doctor and, and, and went to the people that are all wise and knowing on how to get plastic out of an ear, right? Um, and it took him a bit, took him a bit, but it floated out eventually and uh, with water eventually came out and the girl was relieved. But um, that's life, man. And, and, and so you're sitting out there, that's just one week. That's just one week. We'll see what happens next week. But that's life. And life happens, and, and you never know what's, what's coming, what's, what's going to come, and, and what's down the path. And, and so there's something that we learn today, I think. There's something I learn every day, it, it seems, is that we lack wisdom. In, in a lot of different areas, we, we lack wisdom, but especially when trials come, when adversity comes, when problems come, when hard times come, there are times we just look up and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get plastic out of my little girl's ear. I don't know what to do when I get that phone call and I've lost a loved one. I, what do I do? And there are those times we just feel hopeless. And so today what I'd like to do is, is look at James chapter 1, verse 5, and see, just as James says, we all lack wisdom. Different times, different circumstances, and the point is, everyone in this room can raise their hand and say, I lack wisdom, I need wisdom on something. And so look at the verse here, verse 5, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him do something, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We all lack it, whether it's financial decisions our budget, whether it's dealing with a child who's made some poor choices, relationship challenges, we lack wisdom. And I want you to remember this week, as we learned last week, that God is doing something through adversity. He's doing something through trials. He's doing th something through the problems of life. And he's taking us to places we've never intended to go, maybe never wanted to go, never even dreamed of going, but he takes us to those places 
to produce something in us that we could not achieve on our own. And that's what trials do. They have a purpose. We learned last week that the great purpose of trials is that what would be produced in us is endurance. An endurance that has a fixed direction, a fixed direction on Jesus Christ, understanding what he's doing, what he's made us for, what he's saved us for. And then a firm purpose to understand that my everyday life, I wake up in the morning and I have a reason to live. And my reason to live is for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ and to live as his disciple and to follow him. And that impacts everything I do and especially how I respond to trials and adversity. And as I persevere, trusting in Christ, he's doing something. He's maturing me, and he is growing my faith. That as I persevere and endure, I'm becoming more and more like my Savior. And so here's what trials does this morning when it comes to wisdom. It drives us beyond the normal range of our wisdom and our insight. Trials drive us beyond ourselves. They drive us beyond self-reliance. And so what do we do? Well, he says, James does, let him ask. Let him ask of God. If we're all honest in here this morning, there are times we think we're wiser, better, smarter, and more righteous than we are. We, we do that. We can think like that. We think we can handle it. I got this. No matter what it is, I got it. I love what Paul Tripp says about that. He says, it is not our weakness that keeps us from the Lord and coming to him for wisdom, but it is our delusion of strength that does. Thinking, we've got this, I can handle it, no matter how big or or small it may be. But what God does with the trials of life is he causes us in humility to reach out in dependence to him and on him. But often what happens is when trials come and adversity comes, we get mad. We don't like it. It's... It's changing the course. It's changing life. It's interfering. And so what do we do? We get mad. We get mad at God. Get mad at God. Sometimes we we might go there in a tough time, in a hard time. We question, God, why are you doing this? Sometimes we, we get mad at people, especially if they're the reason for the trial and the problem. We get mad at people. We take our anger out on others, even if they're not sometimes. Sometimes we let ourselves even get a hard heart. We shut down. We don't want anything to do with the Lord and what he says. And we become distant. You see, the world will handle problems differently. In those times, they need wisdom. They will look for it differently than what James encourages us here today. Sometimes the world will seek to escape trials, escape and bail on hard times, especially tough times in relationships, they bail. And this is what sin does. And this is what sin has done. 
And what has sin done? I think real simply, it reduces us to fools. You ever read Romans 3? Romans 3, Paul gives a a great picture of who we are. He says real simply, none is good, none is righteous. We all lack understanding. That's what sin has done. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to say that because we're the ones, we got it, we can handle it. But sin has turned us all into fools to where we, out of the pursuit of comfort, pleasure, we will spend ourselves into debt, we'll throw away and destroy relationships, seeking to be right rather than loving. Instead of seeking God's perspective, we look to the world's ways. But we're not to do that. When things get tough, when things get hard, as we saw last week, we're supposed to have God's perspective. To consider it all joy, not because, oh, yay, a trial come, but because of what that trial is doing and going to do. That it will produce endurance and eventually maturity as we persevere through it. So what does James say? He says, those who lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So two things here that we see. The word ask, we'll get to in a bit. Something we do. And then the word God. I want you to just circle, underline, square that word, God, this morning. Because you're going to walk out of here and realize that's the most important thing to God, the text today. is that word. Because if any of you lacks wisdom, he says, ask God. Why? We're going to find out in a second that word you just circled is the answer. It's the answer. What is wisdom? If we were to define it, I think in a godly way, here's what wisdom is. It's this penetrating understanding of how things actually work that leaves you and I looking at life from God's perspective, trying to see life the way he sees it, looking to the Lord for practical direction on how we should live. I think, in definition, that's what wisdom looks like. Seeing life how God sees it. Looking to the Lord for practical direction on how we should live each day. But someone in here might say, but I thought we were fools. (laughs) How can I do that? That's a great question. That's a great question. Because we are weak. And so here is the answer. You see, wisdom is not found merely in an outline. It's not found merely in a set of answers. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Jesus. Wisdom is Jesus himself. Romans 16, 27 says this, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. God is wise. Jesus is wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Who is Christ? He's the wisdom of God. That's who Christ is. He is wisdom. And so when in relationship with Jesus, you come to a relationship with the one who is all wise. He is wisdom. So wisdom is not 
by mere research or experience or age necessarily, but wisdom comes by relationship. This relationship is about faith. It's about trusting. It's about dependence on Jesus for everything because he is all wise. And so what does that mean this morning? Here's a few thoughts that that means, what that means. First of all, think about salvation. The salvation of Christ. It begins when God draws us to himself causing us to understand that we need Christ to save us from the depths of our foolishness, from the depths of our sin, that we need our sins forgiven. And that through Christ alone, that's the only way we can find salvation, not through works, not through good things. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 about that. He says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Who are perishing? The self-reliant. Those are the ones perishing, who have God, the God of their life is self. They think they've got it. And so the cross to them is foolishness. But listen to what Paul says next. To us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. It's wise. And so our encounter with the wisdom of God begins when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he is wisdom. And when by faith we trust in Christ, we now know what wisdom really is. And we begin, as Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 7 says, we begin in this life, this relationship where we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We start to not lean on our own understanding. But in all our ways, we begin to acknowledge God. We begin to, he begins to make our ways straight. And so do not be wise on our own, but fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And those who are in relationship with Christ, that's our story. It's not about our own understanding. It's that we've leaned, we've trusted in Christ. We have a relationship with him, and he has saved me. Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That's where wisdom begins. It begins with God because Jesus is wisdom. And we experience that wisdom when we come into relationship with him. But here's the question I have this morning. As we are in relationship with Jesus, how does he guide us daily? How does he guide us practically to wisdom? Through the different trials, through the different circumstances and events of life. How does he do that? Well, he does it through a few means this morning. I'm going to give you four All right? And here they are, real simply. The first one is this, his presence. His presence. The Bible tells us, before Jesus went to the cross, before he'll be raised again on the third day, before he sends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, he tells his disciples this. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you a helper. That's significant. He's going to give you a helper. Who's he giving a helper to? People who realize, I need help. I need help. They've trusted in Christ. They're not self-reliant. They haven't trusted in the God of self. They've turned to the only wise God, Jesus. And he says to them, I'm going to give them a helper, that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. 
but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And so Jesus promises to his disciples, I'm going to leave you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And here's what he's going to do in 1426. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, all things. Why? Because he is the presence of God. He is the presence of Christ dwelling and living in you. He is wisdom. And he's going to teach you all things. And not only that, he's going to bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so he's going to take the word of God. And as you read the word of God, he's going to bring it to your mind. And so so when those trials that knock you off your feet come, those unexpected things, small or big come, He's going to bring remembrance to your mind. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the presence of Christ does. That's what wisdom does for us. The second thing is this. What does he give to us as a means to guide us into wisdom? As we have this relationship with him. The second thing is his word, real simply. His word. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, where? From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. That's the scriptures, that's the word of God. That's why Paul told Timothy this, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you what? Wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture, he says, is inspired by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Through his word, Jesus provides for us daily wisdom that is relevant to everything that we deal with, everything we walk through. Third, he does this. Through the, means of his, uh, through the means of the throne of grace, he gives us wisdom. Maybe he's saying, what's, what's the throne of grace? The writer of Hebrews speaks of the throne of grace as this place where we come and we meet with God. As we, by faith and in confidence, come and meet with God through prayer, it's the throne of grace. And that's what James is talking about here. Back to the text in verse 5, he says, ask, ask. He's giving a divine command. This isn't something he said, hey, if, if you think about it, ask this man, ask Jesus. No. He, he's saying, do this. This shouldn't be left to the wind. Do this. Ask. Come to the throne of grace. Pray for wisdom. Ask for help, especially in those tough times. And that's what God wants to do a lot of times through trouble and adversity. He wants to teach us. He wants to to grow us. And he does that in the place of prayer. The Bible says in Proverbs 2 again, in verse 3 through 5, listen to what Solomon says. He says, if you cry for discernment, if you cry for discernment, meaning ask, cry out, beg. If you seek her, speaking of wisdom, as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern. The fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. What is Solomon saying? Pray. Pray. And it's at the throne of grace that God does something. And look at verse 5. What does he do in verse 5 and 6? He says that God gives to all 
generously and without reproach. And he says it will be given to him when we ask. So we do something. We, we're to ask, and he's going to tell us in a bit how we ask. But also, he tells us about God. And what does he say about God? He says God gives generously, meaning unconditionally. God doesn't look at your rap sheet. He gives without reproach. I shared this this morning with a 9 a.m. class, and, and I thought, man, this verse means a lot more to me when I start thinking about it and how true it is. I don't know if you've ever heard me say a lot of times, I'll, I'll say this every now and then when people, just to greet people and say, hey, and, and talk about the gospel, and, and I'll say this, it, it doesn't matter what you did last night, that God loves you. And that statement means a lot to me because I remember in April of 1995, I was in a dorm room up in Marshall University up in West Virginia. And I, a believer at the time, but, but struggling in my faith, struggling. Parents went through a divorce right at the end of my senior year, ushered into college, some strange places, seeking to, to find support at, at churches and stuff like that, but, but struggling. And I remember one night, I'd, I'd, I'd had a night that I'd gone out and drank too much. I woke up that next morning with a headache, felt horrible. And in that moment, the Lord came right to me and met with me. And that's the day in April 1995, it's part of my story, where, where God forever changed my life and my path. And I remember just that day, very much a Paul-like experience in Acts chapter 9, where he met me, and I remember praying that morning, and I remember what I found that day with God. I found a God who was generous and without reproach. Very easily, God could have whipped me around that day and said, what in the world? Shame on you. Slap me around. But instead, full of love and grace, he said, hey, listen, I've got more than this. I've got much more. I've got much more. And I'll tell you, from that day on, it hadn't been the same. For some 21 years, going on 22 years, that day forever marks a shift. And what's special about that day is what he did. He met me in generosity. He met me without reproach. He didn't pull out the rap sheet. He pulled out love. And he said, let me show you something better. And I remember praying, I remember asking that day, and I remember just the Lord just, just loving on me and saying, I'm going to give you direction. And I want you to know, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of what you're doing. I know this is all cool to you, and you, you, you're getting your dreams met, but I've got something better for you. And here it is. And I remember just everything being altered that day, that defining moment. And so that's what God does. When we come and we ask, he's full of generosity, he's full of reproach. But look at what verse six, six says. He says, he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so what is that saying real quick? Simply this, when we come to pray, it's not, a, it's not like an airplane prayer. We, we don't come to God and say, God, let this plane fly well and land well. And then we get on the ground, we're not praying that prayer anymore, right? We're not trusting like we did on the plane anymore. No, when we come and pray to God, it is as one who has faith. And not just faith, but fruit and works that back that faith up. You have to be saying, hold on a second, hold the boat. He didn't say all that there. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you go over another chapter in James chapter 2, he's going to say that faith without works is dead. Not that works saves us, not even a chance. But faith that has saved us, genuine faith has with it proof. There's proof in the pudding. Works, fruit, that even impacts our prayer life. And so one who is a believer prays with faith. Meaning this, I'm not just doing this popcorn little prayer, God help me in this trial, but, but I'm going to trust you, God, through this trial because that's who I am. You're my wisdom. You are wisdom. I can't get through life no matter what comes, the good, the bad, the ugly. I trust you, and I'm praying full of faith, full of faith. Now, does it mean there's times where we're questioning and we're like, why God? And maybe we're doubting on some things. I think those moments come. I think those times come, but this isn't some consistent thing. This is a thing where, where he is saying to us, hey, you're persevering, you're enduring, and you're praying and you're trusting. You're going to have questions. You're going to have those moments where you're asking God, God, why are you doing this? I don't get it. God, I just don't understand it. You might even get a little mad at him. You might get really mad at him. But it's in those moments where you and I have faith and we believe and we ask. And we're not double-minded. We're not like children who go here and there on things, being tossed around like waves, waffling but that we trust him because we know he is all wise. He's no, he knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. He's in control, and he has a bigger purpose. That's the third one, his throne of grace. And here's the last one, and we'll close on this this morning. The last one is his people, means of wisdom. And I want you to watch this real quick. Just watch this really simple. looking for another gold. Ledecky's going to do it. 200 meter gold. What a race. What a victory. Wow. That was kind of a turn for me. There are very few times where we sit at the table and the TV's on. Very few. Um, except when the Summer Olympics come on. <laughs> and the winner. Maybe a couple other games that come on, but, but especially the Summer Olympics. Michael Phelps is swimming, we're eating and watching. But I want you to think about this this morning when it comes to wisdom. We need his presence, we need his word, we need his throne of grace, and we need his servants. Why? Because 
just as the water that Olympic swimmers swim in, it's hard, it's challenging. I can barely swim two laps. I don't know how they do it. Muscles are burning. It demands endurance. It demands perseverance. It's hard. And such is life. But just as the swimmer does, we must do the same. We must get to that wall. And I want you to think about that. We've got to get to that wall. That's their goal. That's what they're going after. I've got to get to that wall. I've got to get to next, that next wall. I've got to keep going back to the wall. And we need people in our lives that are a wall that we can swim to. When things are tough, when we feel like things are challenging in the waters of life, we need to get to people and swim to people to be that wall of wisdom. You see, as the church, we're told by Paul in Colossians 3.16 to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and exhorting one another in all wisdom that we are those who have a relationship with Jesus. We're loving the word of God. We're in the word of God. And then we're doing life together, swimming in this pool of life. And as life's hard issues come up, there's issues with a child, poor decisions being made. I don't know how to take care of this two-year-old. I don't know what to do with this 14-year-old. I don't know what to do with this 16-year-old. I don't know what to do with my marriage. I don't know what to do with my 90-year-old mom. And so what does the church become? I don't know what to do with this habit. I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how to get on the other side of this. And so the church becomes what? That wall we swim to for wisdom. And parents, in here today, I want you to think about that. Because you've got to be that wall. You've got to be that wall of wisdom that your kids can swim to. You want them to want to swim up to you and to come to you as that wall of wisdom. And they need to know that. Kids in here, students in here, children in here, you need to swim to walls of wisdom. There's too many other things out there to swim to, up to human wisdom. The world's gonna feed you a bunch of junk about what life is about. The parents... Your students, your children need you to be that wall of wisdom that they can swim up to. That they know that wall's there. And I can go there. We may not have all the answers. There's times I look at my kids and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But, but I know who is wisdom. And he's Jesus. Wisdom is Jesus. If you're here today and you've never met wisdom, if you've never met Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you've never trusted in him as your Lord and Savior to do for you what you cannot do for yourself because we are fools. We don't have the answer of our sin. In our issues. We can't solve it. We don't have the understanding. We don't have the good in us that is required to have a relationship with God. But Jesus comes and he dies. And what seems like foolishness to the world, he hangs on the cross as all wisdom 
saying, this is the answer. This is the answer. And he shows it by raising from the grave, ascending to the heavens, sitting in the right hand of God to show, I am wisdom. And we need him. And we can come to him and find generosity and no reproach. But a God who says, I've got something better. I can change your life. Trust me. Trust me. Trust him today if you never have. Begin that relationship. Church, grow that relationship. He is wisdom. Let me pray.